23. In a concave wall is wide below and narrow at the top, and this originates, as is here shown at BCD in the side figure. 1. That which gets wet increases in proportion to the moisture it imbibes. 2. And a wet object shrinks, while drying, in proportion to the amount of moisture which evaporates from it. Footnote, the text of this passage is reproduced in facsimile on place CBA to the left. L3640 are written inside the sketch number 2. L4146 are partly written over the sketch number 3 to which they refer. 773. Of the causes of fissures in the walls of public and private buildings, the walls give way in cracks, some of which are more or less vertical and others are oblique. The cracks which are in a vertical direction are caused by the joining of new walls, with old walls, whether straight or with indentations fitting onto those of the old wall, for, as these indentations cannot bear the too great weight of the wall added onto them, it is inevitable that they should break, and give way to the settling of the new wall, which will shrink one brassia in every ten, more or less, according to the greater or smaller quantity of mortar used between the stones of the masonry and whether this mortar is more or less liquid, and observe, that the walls should always be built first and then faced with the stones intended to face them, for, if you do not proceed thus, since the wall settles more than the stone facing, the projections left on the sides of the wall must inevitably give way, because the stones used for facing the wall being larger than those over which they are laid, they will necessarily have less mortar laid between the joints, and consequently they settle less, and this cannot happen if the facing is added after the wall is dry. Abhi the new wall, the old wall, which has already settled, and the part of E settles afterwards. Although, being founded on, the old wall, cannot possibly break, having a stable foundation on the old wall, but only the remainder of the new wall will break away, because it is built from top to bottom of the building, and the remainder of the new wall will overhang the gap above the wall that has sunk. 774. A new tower founded partly on old masonry. 775. Of stones which disjoin themselves from their mortar. Stones laid in regular courses from bottom to top and built up with an equal quantity of mortar settle equally throughout. When the moisture that made the mortar soft evaporates. By what is said above it is proved that the small extent of the new wall between and will settle but little. In proportion to the extent of the same wall between and. The proportion will in fact be that of the thinness of the mortar in relation to the number of courses or to the quantity of mortar laid between the stones above the different levels of the old wall. Footnote, see place CV. Number 1. The top of the tower is wanting in this reproduction, and with it the letter which, in the original, stands above the letter over the top of the tower, while stands perpendicularly over. 776. This wall will break under the RTF because the seven whole square bricks are not sufficient to sustain the spring of the arch placed on them. And these seven bricks will give way in their middle exactly as appears in a be the reason island that the brick has above it only the weight a K whilst the last brick under the arch has above it the weight CDXACD seems to press on the arch towards the abutment at the point but the weight PO opposes resistance to it. Once the whole pressure is transmitted to the root of the arch. Therefore the foot of the arch acts like 7-6, which is more than double of XZII. On fissures in niches, 777. On fissures in niches, an arch constructed on a semicircle and bearing weights on the two opposite thirds of its curve will give way at five points of the curve. To prove this let the weights be at an M which will break the arch. I say that, by the foregoing, 
as the extremities and are equally pressed upon by the thrust, it follows, by the fifth, that the arch will give way at the point which is furthest from the two forces acting on them and that is the middle. The same is to be understood of the opposite curve, DGB, hence the weights and air must sink, but they cannot sink by the seventh, without coming closer together, and they cannot come together unless the extremities of the arch between them come closer, and if these draw together the crown of the arch must break, and thus the arch will give way into places as was at first said and see, I ask, given a weight at what counteracts it in the direction and by what weight must the weight at be counteracted, 778, on the shrinking of damp bodies of different thickness and width, the window is the cause of the crack at, and this crack is increased by the pressure of and which sink or penetrate into the soil in which foundations are built more than the lighter portion at, besides, the old foundation under has already settled, and this the peers and have not yet done, hence the part does not settle down perpendicularly, on the contrary, it is thrown outwards obliquely, and it cannot on the contrary be thrown inwards, because a portion like this, separated from the main wall, is larger outside than inside and the main wall, where it is broken, is of the same shape and is also larger outside than inside, therefore, if this separate portion were to fall inwards the larger would have to pass through the smaller which is impossible, hence it is evident that the portion of the semicircular wall when disunited from the main wall will be thrust outwards and not inwards as the adversary says, when a dome or a half dome is crushed from above by an excess of weight the vault will give way, forming a crack which diminishes towards the top and is wide below, narrow on the inner side and wide outside, as is the case with the outer husk of a pomegranate, divided into many parts lengthwise, for the more it is pressed in the direction of its length, that part of the joints will open most, which is most distant from the cause of the pressure, and for that reason the arches of the vaults of any apse should never be more loaded than the arches of the principal building, because that which weighs most, presses most on the parts below, and they sink into the foundations, but this cannot happen to lighter structures like the said apses. Footnote, the figure on place CV. Number 4 belongs to the first paragraph of this passage. Lines 114, figure 5 is sketched by the side of lines L5 and following. The sketch below of a pomegranate refers to line 22, the drawing figure 6 island in the original, over line 37 and figure 7 over line 54, which of these two cubes will shrink the more uniformly, the cube resting on the pavement, or the cube suspended in the air, when both cubes are equal in weight and bulk, and of clay mixed with equal quantities of water, the cube placed on the pavement diminishes more in height than in breadth, which the cube above, hanging in the air, cannot do. Thus it is proved, the cube shown above is better shown here below. The final result of the two cylinders of damp clay that is and will be the pyramidal figures below and, this is proved thus, the cylinder resting on block of stone being made of clay mixed with a great deal of water will sink by its weight, which presses on its base, and in proportion as it settles and spreads all the parts will be somewhat nearer to the base because that is charged with the whole weight. III. On the nature of the arch. 779. What is an arch? The arch is nothing else than a force originated by two weaknesses. For the arch in buildings is composed of two segments of a circle, each of which being very weak in itself tends to fall, but as each opposes this tendency in the other, the two weaknesses combine to form one strength, of the kind of pressure in arches, 
as the arch is a composite force it remains in equilibrium because the thrust is equal from both sides, and if one of the segments weighs more than the other the stability is lost, because the greater pressure will outweigh the lesser, of distributing the pressure above an arch, next to giving the segments of the circle equal weight it is necessary to load them equally, or you will fall into the same defect as before, where an arch breaks, an arch breaks at the part which lies below halfway from the center, Second rupture of the arch. If the excess of weight be placed in the middle of the arch at the point, that weight tends to fall towards, and the arch breaks at 2 3 of its height at CE, and GE is as many times stronger than EA as MO goes into M and on another cause of ruin. The arch will likewise give way under a transversal thrust, for when the charge is not thrown directly on the foot of the arch, the arch lasts but a short time. 780. On the strength of the arch. The way to give stability to the arch is to fill the spandrels with good masonry up to the level of its summit. On the loading of round arches. On the proper manner of loading the pointed arch. On the evil effects of loading the pointed arch directly above its crown. On the damage done to the pointed arch by throwing the pressure on the flanks. An arch of small curve is safe in itself. But if it be heavily charged, it is necessary to strengthen the flanks well. An arch of a very large curve is weak in itself and stronger if it be charged, and will do little harm to its abutments, and its places of giving way are page 781, on the remedy for earthquakes, the arch which throws its pressure perpendicularly on the abutments will fulfill its function whatever be its direction, upside down, sideways or upright, the arch will not break if the cord of the outer arch does not touch the inner arch, this is manifest by experience, because whenever the cord OM of the outer arch NR approaches the inner arch XBY the arch will be weak, and it will be weaker in proportion as the inner arch passes beyond that cord. When an arch is loaded only on one side the thrust will press on the top of the other side and be transmitted to the string of the arch on that side, and it will break at a point halfway between its two extremes, where it is farthest from the cord. 782. A continuous body which has been forcibly bent into an arch thrusts in the direction of the straight line, which it tends to recover. 783. In an arch judiciously weighted the thrust is oblique, so that the triangle CNB has no weight upon it. 784. I here ask what weight will be needed to counterpoise and resist the tendency of each of these arches to give way. 785. On the strength of the arch in architecture, the stability of the arch built by an architect resides in the tie and in the flanks. On the position of the tie in the above-named arch, the position of the tie is of the same importance at the beginning of the arch and at the top of the perpendicular pier on which it rests. This is proved by the second of supports, which says, that part of a support has least resistance which is farthest from its solid attachment, hence, as the top of the pier is farthest from the middle of its true foundation and the same being the case at the opposite extremities of the arch which are the points farthest from the middle, which is really its upper attachment. We have concluded that the tie B requires to be in such a position as that its opposite ends are between the four above-mentioned extremes. The adversary says that this arch must be more than half a circle, and that then it will not need a tie, because then the ends will not thrust outwards but inwards. As is seen in the excess at a CBD to this it must be answered that this would be a very poor device, for three reasons. The first refers to the strength of the arch. Since it is proved that the circular parallel being composed of two semicircles will only break where these semicircles cross each other, 
as is seen in the figure and M, besides this it follows that there is a wider space between the extremes of the semicircle than between the plane of the walls, the third reason is that the weight placed to counterbalance the strength of the arch diminishes in proportion as, the piers of the arch are wider than the space between the piers, fourthly in proportion as the parts at CABD turn outwards, the piers are weaker to support the arch above them. The fifth is that all the material and weight of the arch which are in excess of the semicircle are useless and indeed mischievous, and here it is to be noted that the weight placed above the arch will be more likely to break the arch at a beware. The curve of the excess begins that is added to the semicircle, Then, if the pier were straight up to its junction with the semicircle spring of the arch, an arch loaded over the crown will give way at the left hand and right hand corners. This is proved by the seventh of this which says, the opposite ends of the support are equally pressed upon by the weight suspended to them, hence the weight shown at is felt at BC that is half at each extremity, and by the third which says, in a support of equal strength throughout that portion will give way soonest which is farthest from its attachment, whence it follows that being equally distant from FE if the centering of the arch does not settle as the arch settles, the mortar, as it drives, will shrink and detach itself from the bricks between which it was laid to keep them together, and as it thus leaves them disjoined the vault will remain loosely built, and the rains will soon destroy it. 786. On the strength and nature of arches, and where they are strong or are weak, and the same as two columns, that part of the arch which is nearer to the horizontal offers least resistance to the weight placed on it. When the triangle is the end by settling, drives backwards the two three of each one two circle that is s and in the same way the and the reason is that is perpendicularly over and so likewise is above either half of an arch if overweight will break at two three of its height the point which corresponds to the perpendicular line above the middle of its bases as is seen at a b and this happens because the weight tends to fall past the point and if Against its nature it should tend to fall towards the point the arch and S would break precisely in its middle. If the arch and S were of a single piece of timber, if the weight placed at should tend to fall in the line and M the arch would break in the middle of the arch EM otherwise it will break at one third from the top at the point A because from to the arch is nearer to the horizontal, than from to and from to. In proportion as PT is greater than T and O will be stronger than N and likewise in proportion as SO is stronger than OARP will be greater than PT the arch which is double to four times of its thickness will, therefore times the weight that the single arch could carry, and more in proportion as the diameter of its thickness goes a smaller number of times into its length, that is to say that if the thickness of the single arch goes ten times into its length, the thickness of the doubled arch will go five times into its length. Hence as the thickness of the double arch goes only half as many times into its length as that of the single arch does, it is reasonable that it should carry half as much more weight as it would have to carry if it were in direct proportion to the single arch. Hence as this double arch has four times the thickness of the single arch, it would seem that it ought to bear four times the weight, but by the above rule it is shown that it will bear exactly eight times as much. That pier, which is charged most unequally, will soonest give way. The column CB being charged with an equal weight, on each side will be most durable, and the other two outward columns require on the part outside of their center as much pressure as there is inside of their center. That island from the center of the column, towards the middle of the arch, arches which depend on chains for their support will not be very durable. That arch will be of longer duration which has a good abutment opposed to its thrust. The arch itself tends to fall. 
if the arch be 30 brassia and the interval between the walls which carry it be 20, we know that 30 cannot pass through the 20 unless 20 becomes likewise 30, hence the arch being crushed by the excess of weight, and the walls offering insufficient resistance, part, and afford room between them, for the fall of the arch, but if you do not wish to strengthen the arch with an iron tie you must give it such abutments as can resist the thrust, and you can do this thus, fill up the spandrels mn with stones, and direct the lines of the joints between them to the center of the circle of the arch, and the reason why this makes the arch durable is this, we know very well that if the arch is loaded with an excess of weight above its core be the wall FG will be thrust outwards because the arch would yield in that direction, if the other corridor be seaward or loaded, the wall FG would be thrust inwards, if it were not for the line of stones XY which resists this. 787. Plan. Here it is shown how the arches made in the side of the octagon thrust the piers of the angles outwards, as is shown by the line HC and by the line TD which thrust out the pier, that is they tend to force it away from the center of such an octagon. 788. An experiment to show that a weight placed on an arch does not discharge itself entirely on its columns, on the contrary the greater the weight placed on the arches, the less the arch transmits the weight to the columns. The experiment is the following. Let a man be placed on a steel yard in the middle of the shaft of a well. Then let him spread out his hands and feet between the walls of the well. And you will see him weigh much less on the steel yard, give him a weight on the shoulders. You will see by experiment, that the greater the weight you give him the greater effort he will make in spreading his arms and legs, and in pressing against the wall and the less weight will be thrown on the steel yard. I.D. On Foundations the nature of the ground and supports. 789. The first and most important thing is stability. As to the foundations of the component parts of temples and other public buildings, the depths of the foundations must bear the same proportions to each other as the weight of material which is to be placed upon them. Every part of the depth of earth in a given space is composed of layers, and each layer is composed of heavier or lighter materials, the lowest being the heaviest, and this can be proved because these layers have been formed by the sediment from water carried down to the sea, by the current of rivers which flow into it. The heaviest part of this sediment was that which was first thrown down, and so on by degrees, and this is the action of water when it becomes stagnant, having first brought down the mud whence it first flowed, and such layers of soil are seen in the banks of rivers, where their constant flow has cut through them and divided one slope from the other to a great depth wherein gravelly straight the waters have run off, the materials have, in consequence, dried and been converted into hard stone, and this happened most in what was the finest mud, whence we conclude that every portion of the surface of the earth was once at the center of the earth, and vice versa and see, 790, the heaviest part of the foundations of buildings settles most, and leaves the lighter part above it separated from it, and the soil which is most pressed, if it be porous yields most, you should always make the foundations project equally beyond the weight of the walls and piers, as shown at MB if you do as many do, that is to say if you make a foundation of equal width from the bottom up to the surface of the ground, and charge it above with an equal weights, as shown at PE and at EO at the part of the foundation at PE the pier of the angle will weigh most and thrust its foundation downwards, which the wall at EO will not do, since it does not cover the whole of its foundation and therefore thrusts less heavily and settles less. Hence, the PRBE in settling cracks and parts from the wall EO this may be seen in most buildings which are cracked round the piers, 
791. The window is well placed under the window, and the window is badly placed under the pier, because this ladder is without support and foundation, mind therefore never to make a break under the piers between the windows. 792. Of the supports, a pillar of which the thickness is increased will gain more than its due strength, in direct proportion to what it loses in relative height. Example. If a pillar should be nine times as high as it is broad that is to say, if it is one bracho thick, according to rule it should be nine brassia high then, if you place one hundred such pillars together in a mass this will be ten brassia broad and nine high, and if the first pillar could carry ten thousand pounds the second being only about as high as it is wide, and thus lacking eight parts of its proper length, it, that is to say, each pillar thus united, will bear eight times more than when disconnected, that is to say, that if at first it would carry 10,000 pounds, it would now carry 90,000, beyond the resistance of beams, 793, that angle will offer the greatest resistance which is most acute, and the most obtuse will be the weakest, footnote, the three smaller sketches accompany the text in the original, but the larger one is not directly connected with it, it is to be found on full, 89a of the same manuscript and there we read in a note, written underneath, Cavaccio della Perdica del Castello Roof of the Flagstaff of the Castle. Compare also place XCII. Number 1. 794. If the beams and the weight are 100 pounds, how much weight will be wanted at A to resist such a weight, that it may not fall down? 795. On the length of beams, that beam which is more than 20 times as long as its greatest thickness will be of brief duration and will break in half, and remember, that the part built into the wall should be steeped in hot pitch and filleted with oak boards likewise so steeped. Each beam must pass through its walls and be secured beyond the walls with sufficient chaining, because in consequence of earthquakes the beams are often seen to come out of the walls and bring down the walls and floors, whilst if they are chained they will hold the walls strongly together and the walls will hold the floors. Again I remind you never to put plaster over timber since by expansion and shrinking of the timber produced by damp and dryness such floors often crack, and once cracked their divisions gradually produce dust and an ugly effect. Again remember not to lay a floor on beams supported on arches, for, in time the floor which is made on beams settles somewhat in the middle while that part of the floor which rests on the arches remains in its place, hence, floors laid over two kinds of supports look, in time, as if they were made in hills footnote, 19 meters R-A-V-A-I-S-S-O-N, in his edition of M.S., but gives a very different rendering of this passage translating it thus, La Planchersky sans soudnus par du difference natures de supports paris and avec les temps fait en vue de chalai. Remarks on the style of Leonardo's architecture. A few remarks may here be added on the style of Leonardo's architectural studies, however incomplete, however small in scale. They allow us to establish a certain number of facts and probabilities, while worthy of consideration. When Leonardo began his studies the great name of Brunellisco was still the inspiration of all Florence, and we cannot doubt that Leonardo was open to it, since we find among his sketches the plan of the Church of Santa Spirito footnote 1, see place XCIV, number 2, then only in course of erection after the designs of Brunellisco, though he was already dead, finished in 1481 and a lateral view of San Lorenzo Place XCIV number 1, a plan almost identical with the Chapel di Leongeli, only begun by him Place XCIV, 
Number 3 While among Leonardo's designs for domes several clearly betray the influence of Brunellesco's cupola and the lantern of Santa Maria del Fiore footnote 2, a small sketch of the tower of the Palazzo della Signoria Nicaea 309 proves that he also studied medieval monuments. The beginning of the second period of modern Italian architecture falls during the first 20 years of Leonardo's life. However the new impetus given by Leon Battista Alberti either was not generally understood by his contemporaries, or those who appreciated it, had no opportunity of showing that they did so. It was only when taken up by Bramante and developed by him to the highest rank of modern architecture that this new influence was generally felt. Now the peculiar feature of Leonardo's sketches is that, like the works of Bramante, they appear to be the development and continuation of Alberti's. But a question here occurs which is difficult to answer. Did Leonardo, till he quitted Florence, follow the direction given by the dominant school of Brunellisco, which would then have given rise to his first manner? Or had he, even before he left Florence, felt Alberti's influence either through his works Palazzo Ruxoli, and the front of Santa Maria Novella or through personal intercourse? Or was it not till he went to Milan that Alberti's work began to impress him through Bramante? who probably had known Alberti at Mantua about 1470 and who not only carried out Alberti's views and ideas, but, by his designs for street features at Rome, proved himself the greatest of modern architects. When Leonardo went to Milan Bramante had already been living there for many years. One of his earliest works in Milan was the Church of Santa Maria Presso San Satiro, via del Falcone. Now we find among Leonardo's studies of cupolas on plates LXXXID and LXXXV and in place LXXX several sketches which seem to me to have been suggested by Bramante's dome of this church, BNSS, BNH, II contain the plans of S.C. Polcro, the pavilion in the garden of the Duke of Milan, and two churches, evidently inspired by the Church of San Lorenzo at Milan, Ms. B contains besides two notes relating to Pavia one of them a design for the sacristy of the cathedral at Pavia, which cannot be supposed to be dated later than 1492, and it has probably some relation to Leonardo's call to Pavia June 21, 1490 footnote 2, the sketch of the plan of Brunellisco's Church of Santa Spirito at Florence, which occurs in the same manuscript, may have been done from memory, these and other considerations justify us in concluding, that Leonardo made his studies of cupolas at Milan, probably between the years 1487 and 1492 in anticipation of the erection of one of the grandest churches of Italy, the Cathedral of Pavia. This may explain the decidedly Lombardo-Bramantesque tendency in the style of these studies, among which only a few remind us of the forms of the cupolas of S. Maria del Fiore and of the Baptistry of Florence. Thus, although when compared with Bramante's work, several of these sketches plainly reveal that master's influence, we find, among the sketches of domes, some, which show already Bramante's classic style, of which the Tempietto of San Pietro in Montorio, his first building executed at Rome, is the foremost example footnote 3, it may be mentioned here, that in 1494 Bramante made a similar design for the lantern of the cupola of the church of Santa Maria del Grazie, on plate LXXXID is a sketch of the plan of a similar circular building, and the mausoleum on place XCDII. No less than one of the pedestals for the statue of Francesco Sforza Place Alexvi, is of the same type. The drawings Place LXXXIV number 2, Place LXXXVI number 1 and 2 and the ground flower, flower, sick but should be, floor, 
of the building in the drawing place XCI number 2, with the interesting decoration by gigantic statues in large niches, are also, I believe, more in the style Bramante adopted at Rome, than in the Lombard style. Are we to conclude from this that Leonardo on his part influenced Bramante in the sense of simplifying his style and rendering it more congenial to antique art? The answer to this important question seems at first difficult to give, for we are here in presence of Bramante, the greatest of modern architects, and with Leonardo, the man comparable with no other. We have no knowledge of any buildings erected by Leonardo, and unless we admit personal intercourse which seems probable, but of which there is no proof, it would be difficult to understand how Leonardo could have affected Bramante's style. The converse is more easily to be admitted, since Bramante, as we have proved elsewhere, drew and built simultaneously in different manners, and though in Lombardy there is no building by him in his classic style, the use of brick for building, in that part of Italy, may easily account for it. Bramante's name is incidentally mentioned in Leonardo's manuscripts in two passages NOS, 1414 and 1448. On each occasion it is only a slight passing allusion and the nature of the context gives us no due information as to any close connection between the two artists. It might be supposed, on the ground of Leonardo's relations with the East given in sections XVII and XXI of this volume, that some evidence of Oriental influence might be detected in his architectural drawings. I do not however think that any such traces can be pointed out with certainty unless perhaps the drawing for a mausoleum, place XCVII. Among several studies for the construction of cupolas above a Greek cross there are some in which the forms are decidedly monotonous. These, it is clear, were not designed as models of taste, they must be regarded as the results of certain investigations into the laws of proportion, harmony and contrast. The designs for churches, on the plan of a Latin cross are evidently intended to depart as little as possible from the form of a Greek cross, and they also show a preference for a nave surrounded with outer porticos. The architectural forms preferred by Leonardo are pilasters coupled place LXXXI number 1, or group place LXXX number 5 and XCIB number 4, often combined with niches. We often meet with orders superposed, one in each story, or two small orders on one story, in combination with one great order place XCVI number 2. The drum tamburel of these cupolas is generally octagonal, as in the Cathedral of Florence and with similar round windows in its sides, in place LXXXVI number 2 it is circular like the model actually carried out by Michelangelo at Street Peters, the cupola itself is either hidden under a pyramidal roof, as in the Baptistry of Florence, San Lorenzo of Milan and most of the Lombard churches place XCI number 1 and place XCI number 1, but I,